There's just something absolutely so, you know, when people say it's American as apple pie, like they really, that is legitimately Americana. <laughs> Going out, being in an apple festival, drinking some cider. I love right. you walking in a parade. That's so wholesome and honestly so lovely. <laughs> Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today, we're continuing our series leading up to the midterms called Candidate Conversations, where we chat with candidates from across the country who might not be getting as much press, but whose races are deeply important. Today's podcast will be split into individual conversations with two amazing Democratic congressional candidates, both from their state's third district, Brad Paff from Wisconsin's third and Marie Glusenkamp-Perez from Washington's third. These are two of the closest races in the country, and both candidates are running against pro-Trump, pro-insurrection, mega superfans who promote the big lie and are vehemently anti-abortion. Both candidates are Democrats with deep ties to the community, rural backgrounds, and are believers in women's rights. Brad Path grew up and worked on his family's dairy farm in Wisconsin. He knows the land, he knows the people, and he knows what his district needs. Paff was a staffer for Democrat Ron Kind, the outgoing congressman for 12 of his 24 years in Congress. He spent eight years at the Department of Agriculture under Obama and served as the Secretary of Agriculture for the Democratic Governor Tony Evers. He is currently the incredibly popular state senator for Wisconsin's 32nd District, the husband of a girl he met at 4-H, and the father of two college-age daughters. He is literally perfect for his district, except for the fact that he is running against a Trump-loving, gun-toting, sexual assault-bragging, mega-super troll who was one of the six congressional candidates who was at the Capitol on 1-6 and whom Trump just loves. It's believed that Brad's race will be the key indicator of which party controls the House after the midterms. Do people care about local issues, a representative that knows them and will fight for them? Or do they care more about a Trump-endorsed culture war issue warrior? So without further ado, please welcome my first guest, state senator for Wisconsin's 32nd district and congressional candidate for Wisconsin's third, Brad Paff. Welcome, Brad. Well, thank you, Lee, for having me. I was just overhearing your your beautiful fall weather. I'm so jealous. You know, we live in Los Angeles, but I'm originally from Toronto, and I miss the fall more than anything. This is a beautiful time of the year right now in the upper Midwest. The problem is we know what's coming here in the next couple of months. <laughs> Well, I'm also from Toronto and went to my undergrad in Montreal, so I feel you on that. You I remember know. walking outside and having my nose hairs freeze, and I was like, ah, you know, like it's just so cold. <laughs> I, I hear you. That's exactly right. But no, it's wonderful right now, and the trees are just starting to turn color. You remember that. Uh, the trees are oh, just starting to turn orange. Oh, I do. It's the best. The apples are all over the tree. It's just amazing to see that. I know, isn't it? There's just something absolutely so, you know, when people say it's American as apple pie, like they really, that is legitimately Americana. <laughs> Going out, being in an apple festival, drinking some cider. I love right. you walking in a parade. That's so wholesome and honestly so lovely. Walking a lot of parades, Lee. A lot of parades. <laughs> I've seen you. I've seen you, Brad. You're out there opening restaurants. You're out there at community library gardens. I mean, right. you really love your district and I, I really it. appreciate that about you. Well, you're genuine public servant. I, I love this district. 
Well, thank you for joining me. I mean, Wisconsin is a key battleground state. Republican Senator Ron Johnson is being challenged by Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Democratic Governor Tony Evers is running against the Republican Tim Michaels. And in your district, which went for Trump by five points in 2020, it is seen as the key Republican pickup opportunity for the midterms. That's what everybody keeps telling me. And the thing is this, is that we're going to hold this seat. Uh, we are going to hold this seat because I, I'm running against someone that uh, you know, doesn't share the values of the people here in western and central Wisconsin. Uh, this is an individual that's an insurrectionist. He was part of that shameful, awful, deadly day of January 6th. This is an individual who tried to get on an airplane with a loaded handgun. Um, I mean, who does that? The people here in western Wisconsin and central Wisconsin share common values of hard work, dedication, and resilience. And they also know the difference between right and wrong. Derek Von Orden moved into this district in 2019 for the sole purpose of running for public office. He failed in 2020. He'll fail again here in 2022. And it's not because the Republicans aren't putting enough money into this race. My Lord, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans have raised over $4 million for him. What they've done is this, is they missed the mark on their candidate. Uh, they got a candidate that doesn't share the values or doesn't know the people or the communities of this district. So I'm excited. Uh, things are going good, and we're going to continue to uh, work hard here, and we're going to do it the Western Wisconsin way, and that is, is make sure that uh, we talk about community, we talk about uh, what we can do in order to make sure that uh, this district is represented by one of us. Yeah, by one of you. That makes perfect sense. And that is how the House was designed to work. The House was designed to represent the country and the districts and all the different faces of the country. And right. you are a face of your actual district. You grew up there. You went to public school there. You've been a, a state senator there. You know, you really know it. And so okay. that should be who represents a district, right? And That's the reason right. Kevin McCarthy is throwing this much money into this race is because they think they can flip it. And as you're saying, nah, they can't, right? This is one of the closest and most watched races in the entire country. So what made you decide to take up this mantle and decide to run? Because you're clearly a very dedicated, passionate state legislator. So what inspired you to switch and do federal politics? Do you just feel like you had to take up the mantle because you knew who you'd be running against? Well, without a doubt, we need to make sure that we have someone that shares our values. And we cannot have this outside interloper who's uh, well-funded um, by dark money uh, coming in here and uh, trying to buy this seat. You know, this is my home. Uh, my family's been farming in this area since they came to this country in the 1800s. This is where I met my wife at a 4-H leadership luncheon. And this is where we raised our two children. You know, I've worked hard my entire adult life. I've worked for the people uh, of in the communities of this district. I served as our state secretary of agriculture. I currently serve in the Wisconsin State Senate. I did rural policy and uh, agriculture policy for our former U.S. Senator and our current uh, member of Congress who's retiring. I know this district and I know what the people of this district are looking for in their member of Congress. And it's not an insurrectionist. It's not someone that verbally harasses a teenage librarian aide over a book display celebrating Gay Pride Month. And it surely isn't someone who thought that they could get on an airplane with a loaded handgun. That is not who the people of this district want representing them in Congress. So I don't care how much money uh, Kevin McCarthy and, and uh, the Republicans think that they can throw at this. Uh, I know the people of this district and I know the communities of this district. We're going to win this seat and we are winning this race.
Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Brad. That's such a great attitude. And you obviously have such a love for this this district and this state. It's who you are. And it shows. It comes right through you. Now, you won't just be representing Wisconsin's third district in Congress. You will also be representing the Democratic Party. So let's talk about for our national audience, you know, where do you fall on democratic issues right now, like protecting democracy and reproductive freedoms and even infrastructure, because the Republicans keep voting against that. And yet we've passed this wonderful infrastructure bill that will help rural communities like that's yours right. with things like internet. Well, that's just it. They're all talk and no action. Uh, I mean, let's just, let's, let's talk a little bit, first of all, about uh, reproductive uh, uh, health care and Please. choice to be particular. I mean, what Samuel Alito and uh, the five U.S. Supreme Court justices that joined him, what they did in June uh, set this nation back. Uh, 50% of our nation's population have lost a right that they have had. And the thing is, in, here in the state of Wisconsin, uh, we go back to 1849 law that has no exemptions at all for rape or incest. And there's even questions when it comes to the life and health of the mother. It's awful. And I was the first Wisconsin state senator, uh, once this Alito uh, decision came out, to uh, call upon Governor Evers to say, hey, bring us back in a special session. Let's codify Roe v. Wade uh, into state statute. Obviously, we need to codify it in a federal statute, but let's codify it in a state statute. I am proud uh, that my partner, uh, Governor Evers, called us in this special session. But guess what, Lee? The Republicans gave us 13 seconds. They gaveled in and they gaveled out. And they adjourned the session after 13 seconds. They turned their back. Uh, they snubbed their nose at uh, one half of our state's population. And that is absolutely wrong. And so, Lee, I'm up on TV right now with a very powerful TV spot, joined by my wife and my daughter. And we talk about challenging, complicated pregnancy. Uh, I am proud that uh, through medicine and through science, um, you know, our, our daughter, Lizzie, came in uh, to this world early. Uh, but the thing is, is that we had a lot of hard, hard conversations uh, with our, our OBGYN. And the thing is this, Lee, there was no place in that doctor's office for Samuel Alito, for the Supreme Court, and for these Republican partisan hack politicians in those conversations that my wife and I were having. There was no place for that. But the thing is, now we have a political party that believes that they can make this choice. They can make this decision. And I am running against an extremist out here who has no exceptions for rape or incest or for the life or health of the mother who has said that if he gets elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, he will vote to defund Planned Parenthood, that he has compared uh, abortion to genocide. I mean, these are big, powerful, ugly words and terms. He is so far out of touch. And Lee, I will tell you this. This is a small C conservative district, a small C conservative district, but I don't care. The people that I speak with here, it doesn't matter the age group they're at, the demographic, the gender, the social economic uh, status, they know this is wrong. They have shared this with me publicly. They have shared this with me privately. These aren't just Democrats. These are Republicans as well. They know this has gone too far. They did go too far. I've always said that they bit off more than they can chew, yes, right? That, and it's, that's right. It, you, you, can, you can make it a talking point. But when oh, you yes. start taking rights away from people, then it becomes real. And you have to say, do I believe in taking human, basic human rights away from people or do I not? And it doesn't matter if I've always voted R 
it's is this something I believe? And you've That's been right. very clear as a member of Congress, you would never vote for a national abortion ban. Never. In fact, you've promised to codify the rights to contraception, which mm -hmm. is essential, the right to choose, and mm -hmm. the right to same-sex marriage as a congressman. Mm -hmm. And I think these are essential things for people around the country to know that you believe in, mm -hmm. but also that you plan to follow in the footsteps of the previous congressman mm -hmm. who was independent from Washington, mm -hmm. who could look out for your district first and know that you represent a democratic value values in Congress, but you were going to represent the people of Wisconsin first. And That's the people right. of Wisconsin, as you're saying, know that this is wrong. They know it's wrong. Hey, I'm a good Democrat. I serve in the Wisconsin State Senate. I've served in a cabinet position for Democratic Governor Tony Evers. I will always stand up to make sure that people of this district um, are heard and get their fair share. We are going to make sure that people's rights are protected. And what happened uh, the U.S. Supreme Court was an extreme overreach. And I'm telling you, the people in this district, uh, urban, suburban, or rural, uh, they have spoken up and they've said, this has gone too far. Unsurprisingly, my Republican opponent has been quiet on this because he's <laughs> very, very clear where he stands. Well, I mean, your your opponent has gotten his marching orders from on high. He's not representing your district. He's representing an extreme position that he has been told to represent. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. So let's talk about him. Let's talk about your opponent, Derek Van Orton, who is a Trump man through and through, one of the first congressional candidates endorsed by the former president. As you said, Van Orton was at the Capitol on January 6th and continues to promote the big lie to this day. Right. He is a member of Kevin McCarthy's Young Guns Club, which is potential congressional candidates who are groomed to be Republican superstars or hotshots. He's on the campaign trail, hitting all the ginned up talking points like fentanyl at the border and abortion without exception, right? And now I know why, and I could figure it out pretty damn quick, but why don't you tell me in your words why he's wrong for your district and why people who care about democracy and human rights and good old-fashioned values should be paying attention to your race, whether they're from Wisconsin or not? Well, Derek Van Orden is all about chaos. That's what he's about. Uh, he is all about chaos. And the thing is, this district here, we're looking for someone who's going to carry on the hard work of making sure that the people in the communities of this district are well represented and that the investments are taking place in this district. Uh, we need to make sure that we have you know, a strong infrastructure program because we have to be able to get our goods to market from our dairy farms and from our cheese plants uh, to the world. Uh, people can enjoy these quality products. We need to make sure we have good roads and bridges so we can get to work. This is a very rural area. Uh, we need to make sure we have things like broadband, which is a, it is essential. It's a staple. But the thing is, in a rural area, you know, there's too many places that don't have it. Derek Van Orden is all about creating chaos. He's all about the national talking points. He's not focusing on the local needs of this district. And so my campaign is a campaign that is based upon community. It's based upon the fact of recognizing that we, as people here in Western Wisconsin, regardless of our political parties, we come together during times of need. We are hardworking, honest, God-fearing, patriotic Americans. We know what happened on January 6th was beyond the pale. We had a Confederate flag that was marched into statutory hall in the U.S. Capitol. For the first time since the War of 1812, you know, our capital was attacked. That is not something the people here in Western and Central Wisconsin take lightly. They know that was wrong. I have veterans 
that are standing side by side with me, calling him out, saying, what kind of veteran would do something like this? You, you can't all of a sudden on a Monday be part of the military or be a veteran and then on Tuesday try and overturn democracy. That's not how things are supposed to happen. Many veterans of this district have spoken up and said he has gone too far. He is not who we are. He is a clear and present danger. He's a threat to our democracy. We cannot have somebody like that serving in Congress. But the thing is, and I'll be clear, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans want to win this seat in the worst way. And they have brought forward a candidate with the worst type of qualities. And, uh, you know, there is a lot that's at stake here. This district exudes hard work, dedication, and resilience. That's what I bring to this race. That's what my campaign is all about. My family's been in this area since they came to this country in the 1800s. I have seven generations of roots. I'm not going anywhere. I am proud to represent uh, my neighbors and my communities uh, in the Wisconsin State Senate. And I will take our values uh, to Washington to make sure that our values are represented in the nation's capital. And I am not there uh, to you know, overthrow a peaceful transfer of power uh, like what took place on January 6th. Yeah, you're not going to burn it all down. That's I mean, right. we have to decide if we're going to be fighting about culture war distractions or do we want to solve the problems for the American people? Mm -hmm. Are you there to work or are you there to cause problems, right? right? And honestly, at the end of the day, anyone that stormed the Capitol should be disqualified from running for Congress as far as I'm concerned. That, I agree with you completely. And we're doing everything we can, Lee, in order to disqualify him. And uh, we have yeah, pointed out shameful. these character flaws. It is shameful. He doesn't have the temperament the judgment, or the character to serve in Congress. And the people of this district, the people of this country deserve better. Well, let's talk about character. I mean, we often talk about urban and suburban races, but yours is a rural race, you mm -hmm. know? And let's talk about the rural character of America, right? You're running to represent people that are often forgotten in a national discussion. And mm -hmm. now Republicans can do very well in rural parts of America, but you are a farmer, right? You're mm -hmm. from your district. Like you said, you've been there since the 1800s. You're seventh generation. Your district is large. Your district is geographically diverse, but your district also includes six colleges, right? It does. As I understand it, you believe you can be focusing on your district's issues while representing the Democratic umbrella on the national issues. What are the issues that you're most concerned about representing? Thank you for that question, Lee. I will say this. Uh, the Democratic Party needs to have more rural voices. Yes. And I am proud to be a Democrat uh, from the upper Midwest and from rural Wisconsin. Uh, I, will, I am someone that believes in human rights and believes in equal rights. I believe we need to uh, uh, grow this economy uh, to make sure that uh, those of us that are in the bottom and in the middle uh, have just as many opportunities to succeed as anywhere else. We need to invest in our infrastructure and in our public education. We need to make sure we have a health care system uh, that is accessible, uh, that's affordable. Uh, we really have to invest in our rural health care. That is all extremely important. Uh, and we need to be able to have the give and take of the public policy process. That is very important. I look forward to the opportunity to be in the Democratic caucus where I can you know, share uh, rural values uh, with uh, my colleagues. You know, For this district to move forward, it needs to have a member of Congress that knows the people in the communities of this district. 
Derek Van Orden is not that. Uh, he uh, moved into this district for the sole purpose of running for office. Uh, he has been well-funded by dark money. And the talking points that he shares with the uh, people out here through Twitter is written by you know somebody at the RNC, the Republican National Committee. It is not authentic. It's not local. It's not homegrown. And so, you know, I, again, I am focusing like a laser beam on the needs of the people of this district. And I will tell you what, rural people, they know a phony uh, when they see one and they realize uh, what they've got uh, in this race. You know, I am proud to stand as a Democrat. I'm proud to stand as a rural Democrat. Uh, I've got a record. It's demonstrated that I will uh, speak up and stand up to special interests. And I will always put the people of this district first. And that's, that is what I have done. And I look forward to uh, sharing uh, those values and that perspective uh, within the Democratic caucus and in the U.S. House of Representatives. Well, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, like many MAGA Republicans, your opponent talks a good game. He's out there on the campaign trail saying he's going to be there for the people that have been ignored, the tradesmen, the grocery clerks, the plumbers, the post office workers, the police. But you're the one who's actually been endorsed by the electrical workers and the laborers and the mail carriers and the bus drivers, right? He's using these people as props to hide all the things that disqualify him for representing your district, right? He also so, you know, you're out here saying this is who I am right, and right. he's avoiding press. That's exactly. <laughs> so, oh, he's avoiding press. There's no doubt he's avoiding press. He won't debate. I mean, he will not debate a simple thing. The people of this district deserve to hear from their candidates for office on where they stand on the given issues. He will not debate. He's afraid to debate because, again, it's unscripted. It's something where he's not given talking points from Kevin McCarthy and the Republican National Committee. He has to be unscripted. And we, we have seen him when he's unscripted. When he's unscripted, scary. yeah, he's scary. <laughs> he's when scary. He's, unscripted, he's in the restricted area on the Capitol steps on January 6th. Yeah, I think he's also out there bragging about sexual assault when he's unscripted. Oh, that's exactly right. This guy, he's a real we've charmer, seen him. He, he's a real charmer. He, no, which is a, why he's staying away from press, why he refuses to debate you, why he only wants to do things where the questions are given mm -hmm. to him ahead of time. And like many Republicans, he's leading hard on the culture wars and hoping that's that right. that will be enough to bring enough mega votes in, right? I think people need to be really clear that your race is essential for many reasons. One, so a blue seat doesn't turn red. Two, because you are an absolutely darling, genuine man. And I <laughs> wish the people that were Thank just you. listening could see the visual of this because you are... Absolutely, as American as apple pie, you're just adorable you. and I love you. He's Thank such you. a dairy farmer, perfect, met his wife at 4-H, like I just want to hug him. But also, your opponent is is going to join the caucus in Washington that is the worst of the worst of the mega movement. He is in there with your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your right. Lauren Boeberts and your extremist extremists, right? That's so exactly right. not only do you get to have a... a a congressman that knows your district and knows Wisconsin and cares about Wisconsin and the people of Wisconsin and the the values of Wisconsin, but you also get to stop a man who would only exacerbate the extremist problem we have on a national level. That's right. That's exactly right. Thank you, Lee. The people of this district uh, deserve uh, better, and I will do everything I can uh, to be a member of Congress that will go to Washington, D.C. and uh, work hard for the people's interests and make sure that uh, this district has somebody that they can feel proud of. Um, and knows, come and talk to. You know, if you refuse to. to debate, you also refuse to see your constituents when you represent them. That's and exactly you're someone right. that have been open to your constituents as a state 
legislator, and now you will be open to your constituents as a congressional member. And at the end of the day, you are mild-mannered, but you are a fighter, right? Yeah. I've looked at your record, right? You were very angry when your Republican-controlled legislature in your state delayed a plan to distribute money that had already been allotted to your communities for the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. You filed lawsuits against local polluters like, to make them yeah. accountable for the damage they'd done to your water. Yeah. I mean, you are a kind and mild-mannered Wisconsin dairy farmer, but at the end of the day, you're going to fight for your people. I have to. I have to. When I was Secretary of Agriculture in the state of Wisconsin, the Republicans wouldn't confirm any of us as cabinet secretaries because they were fighting with uh, Governor Evers because Evers defeated Scott Walker, one of the darlings of the far right. And so uh, what I learned as State Secretary of Agriculture when I was speaking to Republican farmers as well as Democratic farmers, that they were hurting out here. And there was a lot of bank, there was too many bankruptcies. And quite frankly, there was far too many farmer suicides. And we, had a, we have in Wisconsin a farmer mental health line, but the Republicans won't fund that program for farmer mental health counseling. And so I spoke up to the legislature. I was very clear. You guys step forward and you fund this because people are, people are dying out here. Yeah. And uh, they did not take too kindly, the Republicans did, to what I did. So I was the first secretary of agriculture, the first cabinet secretary um, in Wisconsin history uh, to have my nomination rejected as Secretary of Agriculture, because I had the audacity to speak up for farmer mental health. That is extreme partisan politics, extreme partisan politics that took place. Now, I am proud to say this, is one year to the day of my rejection as Secretary of Agriculture in the state of Wisconsin, the voters here in Western Wisconsin elected me to the state Senate because they wanted me to join uh, them here in Western Wisconsin to hold those partisan politicians accountable. I'm willing to stand up, put my own job on the line to make sure that the residents of this district get their fair share, regardless if they're Republicans or Democrats. And again, these are the Western Wisconsin values. Uh, and we need more of these in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. I think our nation would be better off if uh, we had people that recognize why they were there and who they're serving. I couldn't agree with you more, Brad. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You represent the exact kind of representatives that the House should be full of, but often isn't. An honest and sensible voice speaking for your specific district to ensure that your constituents' interests are properly represented at a national level. And I think if we had more Congress people like you, we would be doing a lot better in our quest for a more perfect union. Thank so keep that audacity, keep that fight. And everyone that's listening, we got to keep this man in a blue democratic seat. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you. Have a good day. So that was Brad Paff, Democratic congressional candidate running in one of the most contested races in the country. And what the Republicans think is their best chance for turning a blue seat red, something we around the country simply cannot allow. Brad is the kind of candidate that those of us in safe blue districts should be directing our attention to. We need to help him beat Van Orton and send a message to the Republicans and the country that we're not going to allow this homegrown extremism to continue to grow in Congress. This is how we save the country, people, by focusing on elections like this. Now we're going to take a break and thank the sponsors who made this episode possible. And we'll be right back after this with another candidate running against a mega extremist in a very flippable red to blue district, Marie Glusenkamp Perez for Washington's third. Stick around. Okay, I'm super excited about this new sponsor because I already have drawers full of their product. The Politics Girl podcast is now supported by Bombas. 
Bombas's mission is simple, to make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy a product from Bombas, you're not just buying it for yourself, you're giving it to someone in need. My family has been devoted users of Bombas socks for at least five years. They are our go-to socks. We pretty much only ever wear Bombas socks. They are more comfortable, higher quality, and fit better than any other socks we've ever tried. I am wearing them right now. They've done product design and testing to such an extent that their no-show socks have been designed specifically to never fall down. They also make socks for everything you do. They have workout socks, everyday socks, dress socks, compression socks, cozy socks. We have their short socks, their long socks, their athletic socks, their snowboarding socks, and their hiking socks. So I'm not kidding when I say we're obsessed with this product. Plus, how nice is it to know that every time you buy yourself a high-quality product, someone else in need will get one as well? Bombas makes socks, shirts, underwear for men, women, and children. And so far, Bombas customers have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing around the world. So do yourself and someone else a favor and go to bombas.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash politicsgirl and use code politicsgirl at checkout. Bombas.com slash politicsgirl. You know when you want to give a really good gift? It doesn't even need to be an expensive gift, just a good one. One that says, I thought of you, I care, I know who you are and you matter to me. Well, Uncommon Goods is the place you should be looking. I personally love to give gifts. It makes me really happy. It didn't take me long in my life to realize that I get more joy out of giving gifts than I do in getting them. Don't get me wrong, I like getting gifts, but giving them really thrills me, especially when I know it's a really good one. Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find truly original gifts for anyone on your list. If you want to be giving the kind of present that someone actually remembers, Uncommon Goods is the place to shop. They have some of the most out of the ordinary and meaningful gifts anywhere online. They're high quality, unique, and often handmade right here in the US. Who knows what the holiday shipping is going to look like this season, so it's probably not out of line to start thinking about your holiday presents now. From art and jewelry, the kitchen, to home and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. One year we got a jigsaw puzzle of our old neighborhood. You built it and it was our streets, our old home. It was such a cool present. They have create your own viewfinder, personalized cutting boards, whiskey making kits. And if you're not in the mood to start thinking about the holidays right now, there's a whole Halloween section that you can check out immediately. And if you want to feel extra good about yourself while shopping, you should know that Uncommon Goods supports small artists, independent businesses, and gives $1 back to a nonprofit partner of your choice with every purchase. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash politicsgirl. That's uncommongoods.com slash politicsgirl for 15% off. Don't miss their limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. As they say, shop uncommon. We're all out of the ordinary. And finally, I couldn't do an episode talking about good, wholesome, honest people without talking about good, wholesome athletic greens. Athletic Greens has been with me since the beginning. I got my whole family and most of my friends hooked on it. With just one scoop in water on an empty stomach, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day off right. Their special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. So basically, all the things. It's a once a day micro habit that supports your mental clarity, your alertness, and helps you sleep better. It's based in the latest science, so you know what you're putting in your body is right. 
Your subscription also comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add into your routine as we go into the winter months. For less than $3 a day, you can make a major investment in your health. It's all in one nutritional insurance. Believe me when I tell you, now is the time to reach out and reclaim your health, arming your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutritional insurance. And we're back. You've heard of MTG. Well, our second guest today is her polar opposite, MGP. Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, congressional candidate for Washington State's 3rd District. Where MTG is the poster girl for MAGA, too extreme to be seated on a single committee and seemingly completely disinterested in the people of her district, Marie Glusenkamp-Perez is deeply committed to her district, its people, and whose plan in Congress is to represent and speak up for the often left behind, the tradesmen, the workers, and the rural Americans. Everything she herself actually is. Like Brad Path before her, Marie has been a member of her community going back generations. Her great-great-grandfather helped build the Washington State Capitol as a quarry foreman. Her grandmother was born in a logging camp in Sapu, Washington. Her parents met at Western Washington University after her father immigrated from Mexico. She owns an auto repair shop with her husband and has personally struggled with all it takes to run a small business in America, how hard it is to pay your employees a living wage and still have enough left over for yourself. She struggles with internet, dropping out at her home, and finding safe and proper childcare for her son. She is the American story through and through and plans to go to Congress to prioritize regular people because she is one. Marie is running to fill the seat that was filled by Republican Representative Jamie Herrera-Butler for six terms. But after Herrera-Butler voted to impeach former President Donald Trump, she was blacklisted and primaried by MAGA superstar Joe Kent. Standing up for principles and American values and the American people is no longer the Republicans' way. Culture wars and extremist rhetoric is the name of the game, and no one does that better than Marie's opponent, Joe Kent. The New York Times has called Washington 03 an almost perfect microcosm of the political forces at work in the midterm elections, and they have called her opponent part of the furthest right, most dangerous pro-coup elements of today's politics. Much like Brad and his opponent, there is absolutely no comparison between these two candidates. One wants to fix things, and the other wants to burn everything down. The Republicans are counting on this seat, but honestly, it's a toss-up. And it's up to people like us to make sure it falls Marie's way. So without further ado, please welcome my second guest, business owner, rural American, and Democratic congressional candidate for Washington's 3rd District, Marie Glusenkamp-Perez. Welcome, Marie. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you for joining me. I mean, I've been watching your race for a really long time. So our first guest grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin but he's been in politics for years. You also grew up in rural America, but this is your first sort of foray into politics. So you've been very clear that opening an auto shop was because you wanted to open an auto shop, not because you wanted to run for office. You opened an auto shop because you believe in fixing things. So is the fixing things part what inspired you to get into politics? 
Yeah, you know, I think that there are a lot of obstructionists and people that want to burn down bridges and not build them. And and it really feels like Congress, you know, when I think about Congress, like I don't, I don't think of, of a place that looks like somewhere that people I know are. You know, it's, it is uh, a lot of lawyers and doctors and folks with trust funds. And, and that's not who I am. And I feel like things will not get better until we start putting people in office who believe in fixing things, who believe that work is like inherently noble. and um, uh, really committed to that in their daily lives and a broader perspective on the world. Yeah. I mean, you said government isn't going to get better if we keep um, electing Twitter celebrities and extremists, right? We need to elect more people that understand the needs of real Americans and we'll make the government work for those people. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, I believe I would be the only member of Congress that doesn't have broadband internet at home. You know, and like, that's how a lot of America lives. <laughs> Yeah. And we should tell people that are just listening to this podcast as opposed to watching it that Maria's dealing with her internet right now from a, I think it's a cell tower or a radio tower. A radio tower. Yeah, that's right. I get my internet yeah. from a radio tower because we totally divested from rural infrastructure. And, and, and let me tell you what that's doing to our communities, right? I mean, you know, the pandemic was so hard on so many kids, but what about kids that didn't have internet at home and had no way to get it? You know, what about seniors that can't do telehealth? What about people like me that can't file their taxes online? You know, I mean, it is a huge pain in the butt. And and it's, it goes beyond that because it's also a huge drag on our economics. Yeah. Well, because uh, I think what the Biden administration has said is that Internet and broadband uh, across the board has become the thing that sort of drives our economy. You can't we could see through the pandemic for education. There were lots of kids that couldn't even get online to do their classes who would end up doing classes in the middle of a Starbucks or outside yeah. of, a yeah. you know, an, a mall trying to get their Wi-Fi signal. Yeah. But then there were kids that didn't even have computers, let alone broadband in their yeah. communities. And I think it's things like the infrastructure bill that the that the Biden administration passed that will bring broadband to all these rural communities that is such an essential step for the modern world that we live in. You can't just leave people anymore. It's not, as you've said before, just watching cat videos. Yeah. This is doing your taxes. This is doing your banking. This is doing medical things. That is now done, all done online. Yeah. And, you know, like, thank God for all the local libraries that worked so hard to, to troubleshoot. But it's like, we shouldn't be bootstrapping these things. Like, these are fundamental parts of our economy. And 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 they're seriously suppressing, you know, property values and the ability of people to, to live here. I mean, you can't work remotely if you don't have Internet. I mean, that's just the yeah. reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you're saying, this is a uh, decades long problem with not investing in rural communities. Yeah. And that is often, you know, a red state problem because red states have often been the homeland for rural communities. I mean, you've been, you've lived in rural Washington for years. Like you live right now on the edge of a national forest, I believe, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> and you've been quoted saying it sometimes feels like rural Democrats are a dying breed, that Republicans somehow get ownership over the heartland in rural America, but you don't subscribe to that, right? You've been really clear that Democrats can no longer be ceding the territory of rural communities to the Republican Party because we can see what's happened when we do that. And it does the people and the country a real disservice to just leave rural communities to uh, Republicans. Right. And it, and it further divides us, right? Because if you have most Americans like uh, moving forward, having Internet, and then and then you have a, a section of America that doesn't, you know, it, it further divides us. It, it divides the experience that we have in the world and our um, and even our, you know, education, health, all those things we touched on. And so it, it just drives us further apart. 
And, and it, yeah, it, it is really, really obnoxious to me to, you know, hear Fox News tell me what we are and what we believe and, and driving that narrative. And, and Democrats have got to fight back on this. Like, we cannot continue to win presidential races or statewide races if we don't fight for rural districts. Yeah. Well, that's one of the first things that jumped out at me about your candidacy, aside from the fact that I really think you can turn this red district blue, is how much you connect with the people of your community, of your district, and how you want to bring that firsthand knowledge of like living where you live and be a different kind of representative in Washington. I mean, you've said, just like you were right now, that you're tired of people painting the Democrats as this rich, elite, out-of-touch party because you're a Democrat and you're a working-class yeah. Democrat. You're someone who is in the trades, who works with their hands and has firsthand knowledge of the problems that working people face. In fact, you believe that the Democrats should be working harder to get more people who, quote-unquote, work for a living um, into Congress because these are people that look like America, who experience the same economy as their voters. These aren't people looking down from on high. These are people who are with the people and then they would better know how to represent the people. Do you want to expand on that? Like being a person of the people working for the people? Yeah. I mean, it, the world like just fundamentally does look different when you are, you know, in, in working America, you know, and, um, you know, there are just so many examples of, of times that I felt like we get a lot of lip service as small business owners and as rural Americans, it's like, they love to put, you know, they, they, like they love to use the imagery for TV commercials and for, you know, political ads. But when it comes down to it, they're not going to put in the work to make things actually better. Um, you know, like I, I think about, you know, one issue, you know, as a small business owner, we used to have just a terrible landlord who would service an eviction notice whenever he felt like it eventually realize like we, we can't keep running our business like this you know when you fix cars like you are tied to your community you need to know the history of these vehicles uh, so you can serve your customers and so I knew we needed to buy our building I happened to have a degree in economics it literally took me a year to successfully apply for a loan from the small business administration like the application was the size of a phone book in this whole year that I'm spending applying for this loan all these shops that we're looking at uh, as like potential places we might buy, they're getting turned into condos. They're getting turned into coffee shops. They're being bought by uh, investment portfolios and they're being taken out of commercial real estate and like these places that provide family wage jobs. Uh, and so it, it's just, it just feels like you're on an escalator going backwards. And it doesn't feel like the people who are writing these laws understand the ability of small businesses. Like literally, like who has got a year to apply for a loan that you're qualified for while running a business, you know? And so it just feels like um, we've got to do better to support businesses, especially coming through the pandemic. We have so much ground to make up and we, we need different leadership to get there. Yeah. We just had Karen Bass on the podcast and she was talking about how you shouldn't have to hire a lobbying group yeah. to get your business yeah. off the ground, right? Like it's yeah. just, that isn't an unsustainable way to run a city, a state, a, a district. It's just, this is not how regular people live. They're trying to start a business, run a business, do a good job, pay their family, pay their workers. And they don't have time to jump through 500,000 loops of red tape to do that, right? But you've also lived a real life. Like you said, you ended up building your house with your husband because it was more affordable than buying a house in this right. in this environment. We couldn't find a, a lender that would work with us for one thing, you know? It's like, it, it, and it's just, you know, it sounds romantic, right? Like you're like, oh, like they built their own house. But like, 
that was no like, it sounds horrifying to me that yeah. sounds horrifying that was like years I, of I running around buying ter- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like no thank you yeah that was like years of running around buying stuff off craigslist to put your house together you know i mean it's it's um it's work and you know thank god that you know we had the career and technical programs in high school that like like my you see you know my husband actually drew the plans for our house himself with a pencil we used the state's um engineering standards you know but that was because he had a drafting teacher in high school that was really good and that took twenty thousand dollars off the cost of building our house and so it's not just about the sort of the financial reality of um, who can access capital to build houses but it's also having the skills and supporting kids that do have those skills um, and and being good at what they're good at and getting getting um, support in schools and supporting career and technical education programs and this is the kind of stuff I love about your campaign because you're talking about the world, the country from a totally different angle. You're saying, I want to go to Congress and say, hey, we need more trade programs. I want to go to Congress and say, we need to invest in these programs for children coming up so that they can be a plumber or an electrician or a, a drafter, this kind of thing, instead of just focusing us all on one track where we all end up as sort of white collar elites. And that's not how the country actually functions, you know, that you had the career and technical abilities to build your own house, but you were doing that because you were in a financial situation and then you had to have these other skills in order to fill that in. And most people don't have that. And you want to go to Congress and help those people. It's the same thing with your son, right? You have a son now, you couldn't find affordable childcare for him. You're actually living the existence that a lot of people in America are living where they say, okay, well, I have my child, but now where do I put him when I go to work? So you bring your child to work with you because there was no affordable childcare. And this is the kind of problem, real life American problem you would like to solve in office. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I get it. Like I'm in a privileged position where I can, like, I can take my baby to work and that is a position of privilege. It also sucks. It sucks to have a baby at an auto shop, like constantly wiping stuff down, like waiting for fumes. Like it's not the way that we should be running things in America today. And, and it goes back to, I think part of, part of what's going on. Like, so one in 10 childcare facilities has shut down permanently since 2019. Like you want to talk about like heavily regulated industries. Like a friend of mine runs a daycare. She says that our state has not printed the regulations in six years because they change too frequently, you know? And so it's exactly what you're talking about with like, there are cottage industries of staying abreast of these regulations. Like what fundamentally keeps children safe has not changed in those past six years, but the regulations are constantly doing that. And, and the downstream effects of that are that people like me are left bringing their kids to work in suboptimal conditions, you know, and we have workforce shortages. I mean, that's the undeniable consequence of this. Like people that might like to be can't afford to work and they've got to put the, you know, it's frequently women putting their careers on hold because we're not doing a good job of supporting businesses uh, and families, frankly. Yeah, which brings us back to one of the big issues that we're talking about in this election, which of course is reproductive rights, right? If you want to force women to have babies and then you have nowhere for those babies to go once they've been born, that's a real problem. How does anyone go back to work? How do they, maybe that's the thing. They don't want us at work. You know, they want women at home without internet, (laughs) with their babies on their hip perhaps. Um, But your opponent, who you're running against, Joe Kent, he's incredibly clear where he stands on abortion, which is that pregnant people should have zero rights to make decisions for their own body. You know, even Lindsey Graham's national abortion ban doesn't go far enough for your opponent. He believes abortion should be criminalized. Where do you stand on reproductive rights? 
it is so obnoxious for me to hear these men tell us what, what, what our options are. You know, like, I just think about like some like 20 year old staffer for Lindsey Graham. I'm like, you, you haven't been pregnant. Like you have no idea how complicated this is. And like, even if you have been pregnant, like that's still a very small sample size. Um, and, and so this idea that we are going to somehow have a government bill that's going to account for all of it, like, no, like it is the choice of a woman and her doctor. Like that, that is it, you know, and, and to see things go so backwards so quickly. And, you know, and I, um, had a miscarriage in 2020 and it was awful. And I'm frankly like very tired of talking about it. But at the same side, I think about like, what if, I had to have the sheriff show up at my door after that and ask me what really happened. Like how traumatizing, how disrespectful, how backwards is it to, to go through something like that and then, you know, have a, a criminal investigation into your body and what happened to you? Yeah, it's shameful. um, It's shameful. I think the thing is, is that like you said, you don't have to have been pregnant. You don't have to be a woman to understand that this is an important issue. But it is hard to ignore the voices of the women who have been pregnant, the women who have had miscarriages, the women who have had placenta previa, the women who have had, you know, rape uh, experiences and, and incest experiences saying, hey, don't do this to people. It's torture. And it, it is not your business. It is not the government's job to dictate this. It is a medical decision that needs to be happening between a woman, her doctor, her family. Um, and these are huge issues right now because the Republicans have taken a very hard stand. And it's, I think your experience, and I'm very sorry that that happened to you. It's, it's a very traumatic experience, what you had to go through. And I'm very sorry. And um, I I wish that politicians in many ways could see us as real people, not just women, but the voters of America, you know? And I think you're a wonderful candidate for this because you really are living a very real American experience, not just with your house, not just with bringing your baby to work. You know, you're running a small business. You're trying to pay what you call, I think you call it a, not a living wage, you call it a family. Yeah. Family wage job. Yeah. Yeah. Family wage job that you could afford to take care of your family with the money you pay them. But that has also left you and your husband in a position where you said, okay, do we pay our workers enough to take care of their families or do we have health insurance for ourselves? And you said, okay, we're going to, if we're owning a business, we're going to pay our workers enough money to live and take care of their families, which means that the only person we're going to afford to be able to have health care is our child. So you made a decision to give your child health care, but you were like this for us, it's just too expensive right now. And I think that there are so many people in America that can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is crushing small businesses too. Like, I hate to keep bringing it back to that, but like, that's, that's the reality. Like most small business owners I know do not have healthcare for them, health insurance for themselves. Like the premiums are just like out of control, you know, and, and you're facing these decisions of like, am I going to put away money for retirement? You know, you're, you're basically like mortgaging your future and, and, it, it is a really hard choice to make to, to, to say, like, am I going to pursue this small business that you put everything in or are you going to sleep at night knowing that if you get in a car wreck, you're not going to have to sell your house, you know, like. It, and how it wonderful is, would it be to have someone in Congress that understood that predicament who had felt that going to sleep at night? Because I think a lot of them don't. Yeah. And and, you know, and it's and it's rural healthcare too. like where I live, if you're on the public exchange, there's only one option. And like it is, it is not the good one. <laughs> like it was like the hospital that had COVID outbreaks all the time and the maternity ward, you know, and it's just like, it's, 
it's tough. And then there's so much inequity. And this is America, right? Like we've got to do better. Yeah, we have to do a lot better. If I can speak about doing a lot better, I want to contrast you to your opponent, Joe Kent, because we can't do this conversation without talking about him. Joe Kent, uh, for people that don't know, was brought into Washington's third district as a ringer for the mega movement. He's been highly promoted by from everyone from Matt Gates and Michael Flynn to Trump himself. He proudly wears the mantle of extremist. He calls Kevin McCarthy, who has sold his soul to Donald Trump, to establishment. He is clear in his positions that the election was stolen, that January 6th was an intelligence operation, the people that stormed the Capitol are political prisoners. In fact, his top priorities, if he wins, is to arrest Dr. Fauci, have a national abortion ban, make abortions a criminal offense, abandon Ukraine to Russia, and defend the FBI, which is bananas to me when the contrast is someone that's like, I understand your feelings. I understand where you're coming from. We should work on healthcare. We should work on education. We should work on affordable childcare. Those are the two contrasts in Washington 03 right now. Now, you have been a Republican district for a while, um, but you had Jamie Herrera Butler there, who is now considered a rhino. She was defeated in a primary by Joe Kent because she voted to impeach Donald Trump after 1-6. So what would you say to people who are now saying, do I want to vote with the Democrats or do I stay a Republican but end up in this Joe Kent Republican Party? Yeah, I have talked to so many Republicans that just feel like the party has really left them behind and it's just become this eating frenzy of like extremism and and um so out of touch with the real values like i don't know anybody who thinks arresting fauci is a top priority right like that's just like internet chat room like in the real world like we're worried about inflation and we're worried about uh, our kids going to school you know we're worried about being able to afford housing like th- that's that's what i hear and and so having the agenda hijacked by you know, trolls online and, and redirected at these things that are just grievance policies that will not get our economy back on track. I mean, it's the wrong move for the district. And, and that's really resonating. Uh, you know, we are getting a lot of support from moderate Republicans. And, and what we're hearing from them is that it is about patriotism. It, it can't be this hyper-partisanship if we want to have a functioning government and democracy. Like we've got to come back and, and get work done here in the middle. And and that's why I'm running, you know, to be a voice for what our needs really are um, for working families. And, um, you know, Kent wants to just rehash these grievance policies and get people angry. And, you know, maybe he is raising a lot of money off of that, um, but he's not doing a damn thing to help our community. No, he's helping the extremist wing of his party. That's what he's there for. I mean, he's there as a puppet to step in to be revenge against the Republican incumbent that was there because she voted the wrong way and his master didn't like that. Um, he's willful and gleeful towing his party line. He's the furthest of the furthest right. He says that vaccines are experimental gene therapy. He thinks we should be arresting Dr. Fauci for murder. He's yeah. against mail-in voting, which is proven success in Washington state. Um, He's proposed ending all immigration. And recently he's talked about defunding the Department of Education. I mean, he seems like way off a cliff in the right direct, on the wrong direction, I guess. Yeah. And don't forget defunding the FBI. I mean, the lead organization, you know, working against child predators, you know, like 
I happen to think like that, you know, the FBI is a pretty important institution for maintaining our standard of security. Yeah. Well, the FBI, if people don't know, is the police end of the Justice Department. And without it, we have no one to actually go after federal um, criminals. I think what's good about you is that you reject this kind of hyper-partisanship. You've been very clear that you can find common ground with the people that voted for Herrera Butler, that you are not uh, so blue that you can't see the people who are in the red because ultimately you live with them. You have the same problems of them. You have the same issues that they do and you want to speak up for them. I know in high school you went to the Young Republican and the Young Democrat Club and you were open to kind of all ideas, but you ended up finding your way to the Democratic Party, I think in some ways, because the Republican Party lost you. Yeah, well, you know, and, and you know, the big reconsiderations, my brother came out as gay and ah. realizing like how wrong so much of the social policy is in the Republicans, you know, and just out of, you know, just blatantly false, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if you, if, if the party rejects your family member, then you have yeah. to reconsider it. And I think that all the time, there's lots of people who are gay or who are in the LGBTQIA community, who are trans, now who are women, who look at people who are still voting Republican and they're like, they're against me. Like you can't not see that they're against me. And if you love me, then I need you to reconsider where you're voting from. Because at the end of the day, you said it at the very beginning, we need people that want to build bridges and not burn them down and not alienate their neighbors in America. Because ultimately, extremists don't pass bills. They don't look out for the constituents, right? The work happens in the middle where real people actually live. And rhetoric and celebrity and extremism, those are all on the edges and on the fringe. And we have to stop putting these fringe people in a position to make policy because they're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, he has been very clear. Like, this is this is a guy that does not believe in bringing home federal dollars. He's like against omnibus bills. I mean, it's he's like they're too long. I won't read them. I won't vote for them. You know, and it's just it's just a it's a bad joke. You know, it's this sort of obstructionism that that um, is only going to take us backwards very quickly. Oh, I think everyone in the country can see that, that this side of the party only wants to take us backwards or wants to take us to somewhere more extreme, some sort of soft and or regular fascism, to be quite honest. I mean, there's nothing Republican about your opponent. Um, In fact, he's shunning the Republican Party in your state, calling them rhinos. If you're not for me, you're against me. Um, The man is nothing but a mouthpiece for Donald Trump, his criminal friends. He'll kind of do and say whatever it takes uh, to get into power at all costs. And then he'll use that power to serve not the people of Washington's third district or the country itself or even the Republican Party. He'll use it to serve whatever criminal leader MAGA puts in charge in 2024. So you have Joe Kent, who has no interest in fixing anything. And then you have you, who wants to fix a lot. And I think that's a very clear division. And I think that anybody in your district, but also around the country who wants to put money into a campaign that could really stymie this extremist wing of the party, it would be this one because they are really counting on Joe Kent winning this seat. And I think you could come up as a real um, upset for them. You know, it's interesting the way that, you know, redistricting happened in 2020. Right now, this district, as it's currently drawn, would have voted for Donald Trump by 0.5%. So it is a razor's edge. Um, and, you know, the Cook Political Report reclassified it. They went from strong Republicans, skipped over likely, and went all the way to lean. And so this is just, this is really a razor's edge. And when you compare the extremism of my opponent um, to the values of the district, like, this is absolutely a place we can keep 
and extremists out. And moreover, it's this fulcrum point, right? I mean, the power of incumbency is so intense that keeping this man out of office, it is an asset. It is, you know, so much less work than it's going to take to get him out once he's there. Yeah, you have to stop him from getting in rather than try and remove him once he's there. Absolutely. So finally, before I let you go, when you when people ask for your yard sign, you also suggest they put up an American flag. Yeah. Can you tell me why that is? Yeah, I just think it's so sad that like the American flag has become this symbol of extremism. And they feel like, you know, it, they get flown from the back of the pickup trucks with the Trump sign, you know, and it's like, that's our country. Like, take it back. Like, we, we cannot afford to let this symbolism just go unchecked. Like, it is our country. And it, it's so meaningful to me that people are are doing that. I love to see an American flag next to a Democrat's yard sign, right? Like, we it's our country, too. Yeah, it's our country, too. And we're going to fight for it. And if you get into Congress, you're going to be fighting for a lot of values that people have almost forgotten over the over time. And I think that that is exactly what Congress needs. I said the same thing to Brad, like you're the type of person Congress needs. It's going to say, actually, I think we need to focus on this. Actually, this is what the people need. Actually, why don't we do this way? Because that is actually how people think or work or function. I think we need more voices that aren't lifelong political um, operatives. Um, And I think you're a perfect voice for that. Oh, thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you. Um, shining a light on this right race and, and supporting us. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. I, I thank you for joining me today. I mean, your race is one of the most important congressional races in the country. It's always been a red district, but it's now split. And I honestly thank you as a proud working class auto shop owner, fifth generation Washingtonian, clear yeah. pro-choice candidate might just be the person that could take it away from this extremism that the country is finding itself on to stop the slippery slope, right? And this sort of white nationalist sympathizing election denying mega superboy that you seem to be running against. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I want to thank you for being here. And I wish you nothing but good luck in your race for Washington's third district. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. Take care. So that was congressional candidate Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, a new voice for the Democratic Party, hoping to turn a red district blue with their honest desire to represent the people, all the people, and make sure their voices and their needs are no longer forgotten on the national stage. Both Marie Glusenkamp-Perez and Brad Paff are homegrown candidates, people who know and love their districts and will represent them and our democratic values in Washington. Both are up against MAGA candidates hand-picked for their almost performative levels of extremism. We need to send a clear message that people who storm the Capitol and deny proven election results have no business running this country. And while these extremists are short on morals and values, they aren't short on money. So if you can, support Brad and Marie by donating to their campaigns or joining their volunteer outreach as they fight to protect democracy, reproductive freedom, and the voice of the rural working American in the midterms. Remember, even if you aren't from these districts, you can make a difference to these must-win races. I want to thank Marie and Brad for joining me today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. There's only five weeks till the election. Let's make them count. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.